Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Well, this morning, I've got a message that's really burning on my heart. And it's a message for you. And I've called it the way of the great. The way of the great. It really centers around one of our value statements here at City Church, that we serve our way to greatness. Now, serving and greatness generally, in society at least, don't go together. Usually, the lesser serves the greater. In this case, what we're going to look at is that the greater is actually the one that serves the lesser. I've met some great people in my life but most people wouldn't say they're great. If I mentioned their name, it wouldn't be like, oh yeah, they're great. It'd be like, them, why? Really? We, uh, we had some very close friends on the Sunshine Coast that I don't know how many years ago it would be, and that's Alan and Kari Taylor. I don't know how, how long it's been, 15 years probably, time flies, something like that. We got the news they'd been killed in a car accident and, uh, you know, it was devastating. And one of the things about, and I'll just talk about Al, Alan. Al and I became really good friends. Like, we were, you know, pretty well best mates. Uh, he would always, when he would ring up, we'd go do things together. It was always a lot of fun. It was always witnessing the people, no matter what we did. He was just all, always one-track mind, got to get people saved. Uh, and sometimes it was <laughs> the most awkward situations. We were out at Pincushion once. We took his tinny over there, and there's some, some girls over there that kind of stuck on Pincushion Island, and, you know, they're like, I don't know, 18, 16, something like that, and we're two old dudes. I'm thinking, this, this is weird. And he goes, we got to go get these, these girls and bring them back to the mainland. I'm like, Al, really? <laughs> they're going to think, what are these two old dudes up to, you know? And, and, uh, but we did it, and they got saved between pincushion and cotton tree, you know, because that's the kind of person that Al was. But when I think of great, I don't think of that. When I think of the way of the great, and I think of Al Taylor, I don't think of just the fact that he could lead anybody to the Lord. I think of the fact that he pushed a, a, a quadriplegic named Chris around in a wheelchair before the NDIS scheme was ever thought of. He got paid nothing for that. He'd pick him up every Sunday, take him to his church, and look after him and see him pushing this guy around at the shopping mall. I think about how he turned down a job which would have been six figures uh, probably at the time to be the principal uh, at a, a major Christian school, high school. He turned that down to go and teach primary students, little kids, uh, about God, and, and in fact, in two schools and got next to no, no wage for it at all. I think about the fact that if I ever needed something, whether it was just a friend, he'd come and visit me. I had pneumonia once, and first person to rock up was Al. I was going to Pakistan just before Al died, actually, and um, it was scary business going over there. They just blew up a Marriott hotel. They blew up... Uh, a whole bunch of people that were preaching over there, <laughs> going over there. He shows up and just says, we've got to pray. 
I think about if I ever needed anything at all, like from something needed to be moved, a refrigerator or whatever, 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 Al would show up on a, just not even, didn't even have to ask. And when they had Al's funeral, many of you might, might have remembered when that happened, uh, the church where Al attended, Suncoast, was so packed out, they had overflowing, they had a big tent, a big marquee, they couldn't fit everybody in. It was the biggest meeting they've probably ever had to this day was Alan and Kara's funeral. Celebration, I might add, as people celebrated the life that these two incredibly great people lived. And they got a letter from our prime minister at the time, which was read out about what they had meant. I mean, who gets a letter read out from the prime minister of the country at their funeral? <laughs> they were great. They didn't even know it. And the impact was so much so that uh, people came into our church. I remember one guy wandering around. I said, can I help you? And he goes, yeah, I came to church to give my heart to Jesus because of a guy named Alan Taylor that passed away that I promised I would, I would get saved. And, he, and, and so I led him to the Lord in the back of the church. So what was, what was it that made him great in my mind anyway? What, what is the way of the great? Now our value, and we're looking at values uh, for our culture, is we serve our way to greatness. And I'll throw in another value as well, that we are a community to influence a society. I believe that one of the greatest influences that we as a church community can have in our society out there is to serve. Greatness comes through serving. So I want to look at what's a very familiar account here. This is not a parable. This actually happened. And Jesus is going to redefine greatness. His disciples in one account have been arguing who's going to be the greatest, uh, Peter, uh, James and John, sons of thunder, they got their mother in, involved in it. So she comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you just grant that my son sits on one side uh, and the other on the other side of your throne in heaven? And Jesus says, I can't give you that. That's, that's an honor that gets bestowed, greatness. But he teaches them and redefines what greatness is in John chapter 13. So I want to look at this uh, and, and it really draws some things out that we can actually grab a hold of to live a great life. Not just great in having fun or quality, but being great in the kingdom of God and being great in God's eyes. I want to pray before we look at this. Father, I just thank you today. Open the eyes of the blind. Open the ears of the deaf. Help all of us to know what greatness is and to aspire to be great in the kingdom of God. And so that I ask Holy Spirit, teach, impart, and to each one of us, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us that we would hear this morning, not just another message, but a life-changing word from you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, come on, amen. John chapter 13, it's going to go one to three here. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Now, that's a time where they celebrated leaving Egypt, and they, they celebrated through uh, sacrificing a lamb. Jesus 
the Lamb of God was about to be sacrificed on Calvary's cross here. He knew that the hour had come. That's his hour of, of anguish. The hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in them should have everlasting life. Now, he has a plan for this love to be poured out. And he loved his own, that's his 12 first, and he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. This is a moment in history, this is a moment in the life of Jesus that would have been leading into the darkest time that, that anybody has ever experienced, betrayal, anguish, everybody that he died for, all of his love poured out and, and, and rejected. And they're eating this meal, which he knows he is the fulfillment of the sacrificial lamb, Passover. In verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put, and I want you to get this, all things under his power. And then he'd come from God and was returning to God. Question, what would you do if you knew that all things were under your power? What would you do? You're facing your darkest hour, but you've got all power to do all things. You knew from whence you came. You know from where you're going. And you've got now all the power that there is in the whole galaxy of galaxies. What would you do? And look what Jesus does. And this is, this is his illustration, his teaching that is so profound. Like I said, he redefines what it means to be great. The way to greatness. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. This speaks with such profound metaphorical language that uh, I wish that we had more time to really camp on, on this. But what he did there was what he did in coming to earth, where he took off heaven's robes, if you will, the king of heaven takes off and, and, and disrobes his kingly garments and, 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 as it were, wraps a towel around his waist, becomes uh, uh, human, steps into humanity. We're celebrating Christmas, and, and, and really that's what Christmas is all about, that the Son of God, the King of Heaven, went into a manger in a, in, as a little baby in a, in a filthy, poverty-ridden town called Bethlehem. He girds himself with just this, this towel. He, he disrobes his kingdom and, and his authority, rather. And he's got all power to do whatever he wants. And this is the most powerful thing that he does. He takes that off. Philippians says this, that he being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is. 
And he went all the way, humbled himself, went all the way to the cross, to the grave, and to hell itself, so that whosoever could become a child of God. This shows incredible humility. He took off his outer clothing. It says he, in another translation, he laid aside his garments. Again, this is metaphor. He, he took that and, and, and disrobes. Pride, pride puts on. Pride is a big cover-up. What, what can I put on that's going to make me look better? What can I do? We're serving. Serving takes off my cover to reveal who I really am, to reveal my heart. Humility is transparency. This is the greatest act ever of humility. He laid aside heaven's garments to reveal his heart towards humanity. That's what serving does. It strips you of your cover. Verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. If you're going to serve other people, it's going to require something of you. It's going to require sacrifice to serve. You can't serve yourself first and say that you're serving God. You cannot say that you serve God and not serve others. To serve someone, you have to sacrifice something, whether that's your time. We all know we don't have any more time. I just don't have time to, to serve. Nobody does. Sacrifice your money. To serve, you've got to sacrifice something, energy. You have to sacrifice yourself. Selfish ambition, pride, reputation. So the question is, are you putting on or are you taking off? Because if you're following Jesus, really following him means you're, you're taking off your robes of self-ambition and pride and right, your own self-righteousness and everything else to really follow his example. And we're going to see that he says, you, you've, you, you've, you've got to follow me. You have to disrobe everything to reveal something. And that's what serving does more than anything else. I remember when I um, had graduated from Bible college and I thought, man, I know it all. Two years of sitting under Kenneth Hagin and Rama and learning all about word of faith and becoming a faith man. And, and, I, and I, I won't say that I had too much pride, but God has a way and life has a way of just kicking the chair of pride out from under you so you, you'll land on your bum really hard. <laughs> and I went back to San Diego where, you know, the church had been where I was at and the church had had multiple church splits. It went from about 1,000 to 150 people because of power brokers, mainly people in the church. And they couldn't afford a cleaner. They couldn't afford the, uh, the manse that the pastor lived in. They couldn't afford anything, to be quite honest. And God had challenged me. I, he woke me up. In a, I was living in a tent underneath the building, trying to save money woke me up and said, would you give? And I gave the money to rescue the manse. And he had me give my car away. And then he said, here's your ministry. Because they didn't have anybody to clean the church. They couldn't afford anybody. He says, there's your ministry. I'm like, really? Like, I can preach. I, I, I know it all. I, I, I know more than they know, the people in the pulpit. Like, uh, 
There's your ministry, serving. There's nothing greater than to serve. You serve your way to greatness. So I worked all night at a hotel. I'd come in at hot in San Diego summertime, and I'd vacuum and clean the little kids' toilets. And I remember once I cleaned the pastors, kind of had an ensuite. I cleaned that, really wanted to shine because I wanted recognition, <laughs> and I made it sparkle, man. And then I kind of did a quick one over the children's toilets, got in my car to go back and sleep underneath the building in the tent. I was dog-tired. God said, go back in there and clean the children's toilets and make them sparkle as much as you made the pastor's toilet. Who are you trying to improve? Who are you serving? So I got in my car, went, got out of my car, went back in there. It took me like, I don't know, a long time to clean that as good as I cleaned the other thing. God kicks, he'll kick the pride right out of you. Because pride's a, co it's a cover-up. It's a cover. And to get rid of that, to be stripped down, to take off whatever you've got going, titles, position, power, money, fame, all, all of these things, to take those things off and lay those down to serve is the way of the great. Serving leads to success. So if you want to succeed, serve. I was working in Tulsa at what was a premier hotel called the Camelot. It was a castle. It was built like a castle off the highway there and not far from Oral Roberts University. And, but its heyday had long passed. <laughs> and now it was a rundown hotel. And I got the job there as a bellman through uh, uh, driving a limousine and showing up there, dropping people off. And the limo company that, where I was driving at the time, it was an airport limo company, had gone belly up and, and through contacts. I got a job, thank God for that, at the, at the Camelot. And uh, now I'm about to graduate from Bible school and move back to San Diego. And my head's spinning because I don't have a job in San Diego and I've got to move everything back there. I'd move from there to go to Bible college. Now I'm about to move back there. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Well, what I did was I kept on serving. I learned that you can serve your way to greatness. I would wash the company vans and everything else when everybody else was standing around talking. I'd be out polishing that. I, I ended up getting a job as a limo driver there as well, so I had two jobs. And I remember uh, the guy that I worked for, his name was Frank Wood. He was a developer, built some high-rises in, in the middle of Tulsa, and uh, the, the vice president, George Bush Sr., had come to town. And Frank was a Republican supporter, and, and, he's, and I drove a Cadillac stretch limousine for Frank, and he goes, Ed, let's, we're going to go visit the vice president. I'm like, what? <laughs> so he goes, yeah, let's go over to whatever the airstrip was where the Air Force Two <laughs> is parked on the tarmac. We're going to go over there. And I'm thinking, you're crazy. And he was. We didn't get, get past the gate. They turned us away. <laughs> but then we went to a function at the Westin. And, uh, and this would never happen today. Uh, the vice president ended up becoming the president, I might add. And there's 
there's this big driveway out in front of the Westin Hotel, and all the Secret Service limos are parked there because if the president, Ronald Reagan at the time, uh, if something happened to him and there was an assassination attempt on his life, then George Bush Sr. becomes the president. So they prepare pretty well as if he is the president. And I, I parked the limousine next to all the Secret Service cars, they all have Lincolns, you know, Ford's limousines, and I've got this big stretch Cadillac. And I'm out there, and I'm not standing around doing nothing. I'm serving. So I would clean that car. I had a, a dry mop with some furniture polish, and I'm cleaning it, polishing it, and the Secret Service guy comes over and says, what are you using? Like, that car's amazing. You can see yourself in it. It looked like looking into the depth of the ocean. I'd have that thing, you know, it was like a burgundy color, and, and I'm polishing that. And he goes, would that work on our cars? I got, to, I got to polish the cars of the vice president. And so I said, let me, can I have a look inside? He said, yeah, you can have a look in there. It bulletproof glass on the side on how many inches thick it was. It had uh, uh, a Uzi machine gun in it. It had a pump action. It had a decoder scrambler in the back. It was a cool, those cars were really cool. I got to go inside of it because I was serving, all the time serving. I got to meet people that I probably would have never, ever ha have met. I, I, I got privy to conversations as I was driving the car. There's a partition that goes up, and you're not supposed to hear as a driver what's going on in the back. I can hear everything. They'd be discussing business, and can your driver hear me? No, he can't hear me. Watch this. Hey, driver! And I, I could hear him, but I'd ignore it. Totally ignore it. Keep on driving. I knew what business was going down. I had insider information. I could have used it, but I didn't to make some money. Uh, but if you want to succeed, serve. So what happened to me at the Camelot in driving that limousine is I, start, I, I would open doors for people. And as I'm about to leave back to San Diego, this guy that was a frequent customer at the Camelot came in. And I said, oh, I forget his name, Mr. Bridgeport or whatever it was, I said, you won't see me again because I'm leaving. I'm going back to San Diego. He goes, no way. Like, he said, I've really enjoyed your service. And he said, uh, I've got an office in San Diego. What are you doing when you get there? I said, I don't know. I don't have a job. He goes, here's my card. As soon as you get there, look me up, and I'll get you into the, um, it's now the Marriott, but it was called the Intercontinental. It was the premier hotel where the president stayed, actually, in A-lister, uh, uh, movie stars and singers would stay there overlooking San Diego Harbor. And uh, because I opened doors for people, the door was open for me. When I got to San Diego, I got straight to the front of the queue and I got the job. Honestly, I'd walk home with wads of cash through tips from that job, enough to save up all this money and then give it away to the church. But that's another story. So, uh, you want to you wanna be successful? Serve. Serving is the way to success. Now, I hesitate to bring that into the, to the message because I don't want you to think this is some kind of a technique or a gimmick to get successful. This is the heart of God, that whatever good thing you do, that shall be done. That's, that's a law. Sowing and reaping is an absolute law of the universe. Even non-believers know that. But if you're serving, you don't always, you know, getting paid, let me put it this way, your job. You can, you can do something but not be a servant. 
you're getting paid for it. Or you can get paid, be an employee, and you can be a servant. It's all the heart. It's all about the attitude. At City Church, I don't like to use the word volunteer. Because volunteer has this attitude. Well, I'm not getting paid. I'm just a volunteer. So don't expect much out of me. Where does that come from? Volunteer, paid, not paid? Serving is an attitude of the heart. And serving isn't just doing. Serving is not sitting around. But serving isn't just doing either. It's your motivation. It's the motivation of the one that gave us the example of what greatness is. And this is the heart of God as we look at his illustration. So I went from a rundown hotel to the absolute best one. But I had to find my serve. Tennis players, I mean the great tennis players, sometimes hit a spot where they just can't find their serve and they lose tournaments as a result of that. And sometimes in life, like I said, the chair will get kicked out. We'll be somebody. We'll have something. We'll be successful. But all of a sudden we're not. What are you going to do? You're going to find your serve. You have to find your serve. No matter what life throws it, no matter where you are right, no matter what you're doing right now, I know I'm talking to somebody here, you've got to find your serve and get back into the rhythm of the real deal, the way of the great. Serve your way to greatness. Again, this goes counter culture. And then he came, in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. Simon likes to speak his mind. Who said to him, Lord, are you talking about the king of heaven, the ruler of the, the creator of the universe, the one that's got all power? Are you going to wash my feet? Just a low life. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. In fact, most church people don't realize what he did here. But later you will understand. Now, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. When I think about the attributes of God, and that's who's washing their feet, I think about God, all-knowing, omniscient, everywhere, the ability to be everywhere at once, omnipresent, powerful, beyond anything, omnipotent. When I think about the attributes of God, his titles, mighty God, everlasting Father, majesty, King of kings, Lord of lords. But there's one title and one attribute that I don't think of, and it blows my mind. Humble servant, majesty on high, King of kings, humble servant. With all the things that God displayed, this is the one thing 
that most people don't sing or talk about and don't even know that he actually has humility beyond what you or I could ever achieve. That his greatness was displayed in serving. That I find amazing. What Peter saw in the Son of God seems so ridiculous. Matthew 20, verse 28, listen to this. Jesus is talking. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but get this, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The fact that the pure, the powerful, the holy God, the righteous one, washes the feet of dirty men carrying the dirt of the steps that we chose to take. And he washes it. Only weak, insecure people demand to be served. But power, power, power insists on serving. It takes power to serve. I was chatting with our son Mitch, and many of you know him, and um, you may or may not know, but he's uh, in the U.S. Army. He's in the um, 82nd Airborne Division. And the Airborne has the 82nd, 101st, which uh, if you've watched Band of Brothers, is pretty amazing, and the 11th, which are up uh, in Alaska. And they had Thanksgiving over there, and um, his regiment is really huge, a lot of soldiers. And um, he's in the biggest Army um, um, whatever you call it in, in the U.S. What is it? Base. That's it. <laughs> He's in a really big army base over there. And they celebrate Thanksgiving. So just before Thanksgiving, they have Thanksgiving for the troops. And they put it all on. He's telling me, oh, Dad, you wouldn't believe it. There's a red carpet. Like we're all, you know, getting ready to go in the, the defect to get Thanksgiving dinner. It's a huge red carpet, a big ribbon, you know, welcome 82nd or whatever it was. And, uh, but he says, the, the amazing thing, he says that the guys that were serving the mashed potatoes, the gravy, the cutting the turkey, the, you know, all of all the trimmings, dishing it all out to the privates, because he's a private, that's as low as you can get. He says, they're all officers, colonels. But he said... <laughs> The big thing was, he says, the top brass general was there. He's got stars. I don't know how three or four stars or whatever it is. This is the guy that reports to the president of the United States. He's there serving the privates. So did you get to meet him? He said, oh, absolutely. Got to shake his hand. Had a conversation. Where are you from? Private? Which is the only Aussie in the whole, <laughs> whole deal. That just blew me away. Here's a guy that shakes hands with the president of the United States, shaking hands with my son who's a private. What does that show you about greatness? Here's, here's guys that they have to salute them, and they're serving them. How many, do you want some more mashed potatoes, soldier? Would you like a bit more turkey? Would you like some gravy with that? What does it show you about great and serving? How do you be great in the kingdom of God? 
Did serving privates make the general less of a general? Did serving disciples make the king of heaven less the king of heaven? When you serve, are you going to be lesser or are you going to be greater? You see, when you serve, you elevate whatever role or title or position that you have. You elevate that, that, that position. So whether it's pastor or doctor or general or president or king, if they have any eternal value at all, they're in serving. Serving your way to greatness is not just a cliche value here at City Church. It's a value that God wants to use to shape culture because it is the way of the great. People always say, well, how will I ever know? How will I know when I am great in somebody's eyes? How, how will I know when I am rich? How, how will I know if I ever am fat? How will I know if I'm powerful, whether I had the posture of a servant? And the only way you'll know you had the posture of a servant is when you're powerless, is that you had the posture of a servant when you're powerful. Are you still serving when you're a king? Oh, you don't have to serve. <laughs> you're the boss now. You're the general. You don't have to do that. You've, you've earned your, you've paid your dues. You're only a volunteer. Are you a general? Are you the boss? Well, then you serve. You have money now. People serve you. <laughs> you don't have to serve. See, power and position don't change who you are. They reveal who you are. Your gift has graduated you from serving? I don't think so. Listen to 1 Peter. Again, that was Peter's feet that were getting washed by Jesus. Listen to what he writes in his letter, 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. <laughs> Good I'm a prophet. Oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> I'm Pastor Ed. <laughs> oh, good. Bravo, Pastor. <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> Whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's another way of saying take up your cross, and I'll put this on the end of it. Take up your cross, not your crown. I can't have a greater position than child of God. I can never be greater as a child of God than when I'm serving. I've nothing to prove. I was preaching in Brazil for 30 days, 30 different churches. I slept on a bus, literally. would rock up, the bus would pull up, Another meeting, I'd have enough time to get into a cheap hotel, have a shower, get refreshed, but I'm sleeping all night traveling. Brazil's a big country. And I remember I got to this town, I think it was Porto Alegre, and I'm, I'm dog tired. I'm thinking, man, I got this meeting. So it was a nice hotel, I went in thought I'd love to just stay here, but I can't. Got enough time to get a shower, 
get cleaned up and go and preach at another church. So this guy picks me up. His name's Ricardo. And he's, he opens the door for me to sit in the back. A nice, it was a nice car. It wasn't like a stretch limousine like I used to drive, but it was a nice car. I said, I'd like to sit up the front with you if that's okay. Sure, sit up the front with me. And so I'm sitting up the front there chatting with him. And so I said, well, what do you do, like for work? Are you part of the church or whatever? He goes, yeah, I'm part of the church, but um, I, I own a, um, a business. I said, oh, really, what do you do? because I have a business background. He goes, well, I have a, a tannery. We take cow hides and we um, tumble these cow hides with, and put dye in these big tumblers and, you know, and we sell the leather. He's kind of downplaying the whole thing and almost like he's got a job at a tannery. And as time goes on, I find out he's the boss, he's the owner of the biggest tannery in the Southern Hemisphere. And that the purses that are made, that are sold in New York, Prado and Gucci or whatever else, are his leather. He's got the best leather in the world, virtually. <laughs> and he's a multimillionaire, and he's got thousands of employees, and et cetera, et cetera. So I've, I said to him, man, I, I, I would really love to visit your factory. I used to be in, in manufacturing, and I'd just like to tour the plant. And Reluctantly, reluctantly, he took me on a tour of the plant and, and all the employees, like, he's like the big boss has arrived. <laughs> it was like, oh, I was, I was just amazed. It was kind of like the general, you know, amongst the troops, it was like a big deal. And I thought, man, this guy's my driver. We got to the meeting. He's not only the driver, he's the head of the whole apostolic movement with, I don't know how many hundred churches or more under him. And he's now my interpreter. He's interpreting the message that I'm preaching. He's my driver and interpreter, and he happens to be the top guy in the whole movement. But what was he doing? He was serving. I would have never known because of humility. He took off. His outer garments, cast those aside. President, owner of company, president of organization, all of these things. He just stripped it all back. He was serving me. I was so humbled by that. And then I got invited. He turned 50, and I got invited to his birthday party. All the who's who in Brazil were, were there. <laughs> it was amazing. Top restaurant. Where was I sitting? Right next to him. So I don't speak Portuguese. He goes, sit next to me. He was interpreting everything for me. People were coming up and pumping his hand and all the rest, introducing Ed. <laughs> and I got a good look at greatness. Not because of his position, Ricardo, the president. I got a, I got a look at greatness because of Ricardo, the guy that's serving. I wonder when we see things at City Church, somebody struggling to get a pram out of the car, a single mom that somebody prayed for, she comes to church for the first time, maybe thinking, I'm desperate, I don't know what to do. And we've had, these are actual things that have happened, but I won't re reveal the people, but somebody goes over, don't, 
Don't open the door. I'll get that for you. And it's not just, oh, I noticed that you got a two-year-old or a six-month-old or whatever. The children's church is over there. But it's all come with you. I'll help you get checked in. Oh, by the way, this is so-and-so-and-so. Would you like a cup of coffee? Would you like a cup of tea? Can I get you something to eat? What's your name? Do you see how important it is that when we come into even a meeting at a church, there are all these people coming through doors. Are you the one opening doors for Jesus when he comes? Are you the one helping Jesus Get the pram out of the car? Are you the one parking cars for Jesus? Oh, you're just a minion. <laughs> no, you're a king. You're great. You're displaying the greatness that's in you. Your power is not in your position. Your power is in him. I'm going to finish this now. Verse 9. Then the Lord, then Lord Simon says, replies, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Now you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. And he returned to his place. Oh, there's a lot in that. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord. See, some people think that being great in the kingdom of God is just studying more or even doing more. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, here we go, you also should wash one another's feet. Put it in there. Serve, serve, serve. You've got to find your serve. I've set, this is still Jesus talking, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant's greater than his master. In other words, if you think you're just too big to serve, well, are you greater than Teacher, Lord, no. No servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, and now, church, you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Question, if pride comes before fall and serving takes you higher, why aren't more people serving? That's always bothered me. Why aren't more of Jesus' followers willing to serve? Why? John 15, I'm going to close with this. John 15, verse 14, and I'm going to show you something here. We've only got a few minutes, so hang on. You are my friends if you do, not if you learn and here, if you do what I command you, and he's just commanded us something back in John 13, I no longer call you servants. He doesn't call us servants. Why would we serve? 
Because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Question, if I'm not a servant, I'm no longer a servant, why would I serve? Now, I got the answer to this. And uh, again, we're about out of time here. But um, Gail and I did a cruise. It was a six-star cruise. (laughs) It's like not Carnival Cruise Lines or Celebrity or any of those. It was above all that. There was 450 crew, and there were 450 passengers. So there's one crew member to every passenger on this cruise. It was a gift, and um, so we, you know, had to take the gift. (laughs) And I remember walking around the ship, and... I was kind of lost, thinking, oh, I wonder where the, where the galley is or whatever. Uh, there's somebody right there. Somebody I'd never met. Oh, Mr. Luther, can I help you, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm looking for the, the restaurant. Come, I'll take you there. Not, well, go up, the, go up the stairs and make a left. And No, come, I'll take you there. They knew my name. They took me to wherever I, wherever I wanted. I was blown away. So I said to myself, I've got to meet the person, the director of personnel on this ship. So I did. I made an appointment. He happened to be on the ship at that time. He's usually based in Seattle. And very stately gentleman. And, and um, so we met in one of the coffee shops. I forget his name. doesn't matter. But uh, he said, you're the only person in all the years that I've been doing this that's made an appointment with me. You know, what do you want? Mostly people make appointments with the captain if they can, but nobody's ever made an appointment with the director of personnel. I said, uh, he said, what can I do for you? I said, I want to know how you do it. Because I'm pastoring a church, and that's the culture that I would love to see for a group of Christ followers, but so far off the mark. Oh my God, if a cruise ship can get this, why can't we? He said, okay, that's a great question. Let me explain it. He says, Natasha over there, Natasha was the barista. She's making us, the two of us, a cup of coffee. He said, Natasha lives to make you the best cup of coffee you've ever had. I'm like, well, And it was. It was amazing. He goes, I don't look after you. I look after Natasha. I know Natasha's birthday. I know her hometown. And I know the stuff that she's dealing with. And I know that with all 450 crew members. I look after them so that they can look after you. He said, Natasha, I'm about to send Natasha home for a break because she needs it. She's got to deal with some personal issues. I look after the crew so the crew can can look after the passengers. Jesus washes his disciples' feet so that his disciples can go out and wash the feet of sinners that are in the world. You and I, have a responsibility 
when we lift our hands, we assemble at church, we worship God to receive from God so that we can go out of here and be a community that serves society and impacts our society, that we can serve our way to greatness and make Jesus great, not just on the Sunshine Coast, but in all the world, we can become great in his kingdom by serving him. I have not called you servants anymore. I've called you friends. That guy, that guy, that personnel director at Seaborn Cruises, he was the friend of every 450 crew member on that ship because he served them. And I wonder if you and I, right now, if we're going to pray right now, we're out of time. I wonder right now, if you just say, yes, I'm willing to serve in some capacity so that we can impact community in a greater way. I wonder if you would take the way of the great and see serving as the way of Je that Jesus says of greatness. I wonder if you'd be willing to serve your way to greatness and lay down whatever it is in the world that you've got going for you, whether that's power, money, fame, position, or you say, I've got none of that, doesn't matter, lay whatever it is down Take that off and gird yourself up with the towel of a servant and start looking for opportunities. And they're everywhere. They are everywhere. You can make such an impact and you can be great in God's eyes in the kingdom of God. Father, I just thank you right now that you would help us not sit and do nothing, but stand and do something just out of our hunger and our love for you, that you call us friends. For a, for a servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but a friend does. That you want to share the intimacies of your heart with a group of people called Christ followers. Help our eyes to be open, Lord. Open our souls to serve our way to greatness. Translate this message into action in all of our lives. And we will be obedient. We will find our serve. In Jesus' name. I just want to pray right now for those that don't know you, that don't know Jesus. If that's you, you can pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear God, I repent of doing it life my way. I turn from my way to your way. Jesus, I give you my heart. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.